This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Lower and once here in a Donald Donaldson Lish and the Fagoxian at near Lower Jeffrey the Danyerby. Me head will policy Shachan, Ian Rodiana, you know, we are in the start of her Lishna Bodge Bugger shoot. Skilty, Fis, Turmi. Nimajigiri and Drama Honyal Ama, Tamajigiri, Munchen Honyal Esta. Shachtan, find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, let's talk cancer. Let's get shaven. Let's right. go for it. Okay. Are we going right. to do a quick. <laughs> do you want to ask me questions? Quick, get going, Keep John. going. Yeah, go, go, right. get shaven. Let's, let's go. Here we go. So, how does. Ireland's most famous twins there, John and Edward Grimes, a.k.a. Jedward, shaving their trademark quiffs on the Late Late Show in March of last year. All joking aside, the boys were sending out a very serious message to the public to raise awareness for cancer, for the Irish Cancer Society. You're Shout all out heroes. Everyone going through cancer. Everyone has to do this. I just want to send so much love and positivity and let them know they're not alone and we're all in this together. Jedward's mother, Susanna, passed away from cancer in 2019. And the light-hearted haircut was their way to get their message out to people to donate on what was Daffodil Day. You know, you have to hand it to everyone who raised money on that day over the last two years because the pandemic really put a stop to the familiar sights and sounds of Daffodil Day in March. But this year it's different, it's back and Ireland will once again be awash with yellow as people don pins and donate today to raise much needed funds for the Irish Cancer Society. Look, it's never easy to talk about uh, an illness, especially cancer, because it affects so many of us, our family members and friends. But the message today is one of hope, because more and more of us are surviving cancer too. I'm Siobhan Maguire, and today on the Indo Daily, we want to talk about cancer and the incredible survival stories all over Ireland from people who have beaten it, including this fine man sitting across from me here on this sunny Friday morning, Paul Markey. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for inviting me in. Paul, when you listen to the stories of cancer survivors, you're struck by their strength and their courage in what can only be a terrifying experience. But you've been there, right? And you've beaten it. Yes, thankfully, I've beaten it. And I got the all clear for the second time uh, last November. Fantastic. So let's go right back to the beginning. You were gardening one day and you got that twinge. You got yes. the loud pain in the back, didn't you? I was uh, doing some very light gardening uh, in, in a beautifully summer's, summer's day. Mm. Uh, I was putting a flower pot up onto a table and I got this terrible pain. Didn't go away. Went to the doctor. 
who gave me two injections. So then, as well as having a pain in my back, I had a pain in my backside. Uh, and eventually, <laughs> eventually the pain in the back went away, as did the other. But he sent me for an MRI. Right. Uh, and there they spotted something small on my spine and said we'd investigate it. Yeah. At that stage, uh, I had to go into uh, hospital for the tests. Mm. And I kind of had a niggling feeling, you know, in for tests, what's all that about? Uh, and it was three days in there. This this is at the height of the pandemic, isn't it? This was in 2020. Yes, it was actually in July, August 2020. Right. Uh, and the day I went in there uh, for the tests, and the days afterwards, the day particularly afterwards when they told me uh, what I had, uh, was the same day that I was supposed to be down in Marbella with my son at my son's wedding, which had been cancelled because of COVID. Yeah. So that was a bad news day all around, let's say. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, top that. Yeah. Now, the, the doctor came around and said, uh, you have non-Hodgkin's follicular lymphoma, a bit of a mouthful. Absolutely. Uh, and I said, but where have I got it? Uh, he said, well, you have it on your spine and you have it in your gullet and you have it in your spleen. And I said, well, I don't feel anything. He said, well, that's the way it is. We'd normally treat it differently by giving you medication um, orally. But because on your spine, we're afraid it might crack your spine and you'd be paralyzed. So I said, well, it's a no-brainer then. What do I do? Go yeah. for chemotherapy. And that's the thing, Paul. Not only are you getting the awful news that you have cancer, but you're also being told, you know, that there's the possibility of of you having some very serious back issues as a Ab- result. Absolutely. Uh, so it was a bit to take in because, I, as you say, it was during the pandemic and there were no visitors allowed. Mm. And I couldn't very well ring up my wife and say, uh, by the way, I came in here with back pain and guess what? I've got lymphoma. So I couldn't tell anybody other than my son, my eldest son, because he was, he was uh, nearly on the body, the fair idea of what was going on. So I told him, I said, don't see anything until I go home. And after two, three days, I can't recall, uh, I was collected by my wife in the car park in the hospital. And as she was, we were driving home, I kind of mentioned to her casually, you know, it's a bit like saying I'm going to a football match or something. So I tried to make, you know, fairly light of it that it wasn't one of the more serious ones and all that. But... It was a shock for us all. And then I had to sit down and tell my daughter and my other son. Because that's the thing, Paul, you and I have been having the chats and um, you are a family man. You have uh, a loving wife and you have uh, three kids, six grandkids, another one on the way. Could be any day now. <laughs> you were you were not a, a, a shrinking violet by any means at all. You're a, you're a, a strong man, a great personality. Mm-hmm. I saw you fly up the stairs to me this morning. <laughs> so this must have been a massive shock for everyone. It was really. Um, and the thing about cancer is it always happens to somebody else, but not me. Mm. So when it happens to you, it comes to your doorstep, you just have to be kind of stoical. I suppose I was I was fortunate in inverted commas that I'm led to believe uh, that this is not one of the more serious cancers, although they are all serious. Yeah. Uh, and I think the good news was that I got it early. Yeah. As opposed to letting it linger on when it might have been too late. And that's the thing with with cancer. I mean, you you never know what type you're going to get when when you are diagnosed with it, um, Paul. Uh, There was another aspect of you being um, diagnosed during the pandemic. It was a very lonely experience for you, wasn't it? It was in one way. uh, But having said that, everything was in lockdown. Mm. So you couldn't go to the pub. Yeah. You couldn't go 
to my favourite coffee place, Jack's. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> the shops were closed. There was no, we could only walk two miles or go two miles within our, mm. our location. So to some extent, I was the same as the rest of you guys. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. So it wasn't the worst thing in the world. But having said that, it would have been nice if you had more support coming around to your house because we couldn't have any visitors. Like, I used to walk down to my uh, my sons and look in the window at the grandchildren. We couldn't go into them. Yeah. So that was kind of tough enough. But that was tough for everybody. But even in that hospital bed, you couldn't even have visitors. No, no. And it was, it was incredible. Like, it was hospital bed and a long day walking around uh, the ward, you know, the corridors trying to fill time in and then the highlight of the day be listening to Joe Duffy. I mean, it wasn't great, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Can I, can I, uh, fast forward then a a tiny bit, um, Paul, I I should say you're 70 years of age Mm -hmm. and um, you had the diagnosis and you opted for chemo. Now, chemo, the, the prospect of it, it sounds absolutely terrifying for those who have been lucky enough not to have had cancer in our yeah. lives yet. Can you describe to me the process, please? Well, what they recommended chemotherapy and they suggested every three weeks for eight sessions, maybe six, but more likely to be eight. So what you do there is you go into the oncology ward in the hospital uh, and you're, they take your bloods to establish how fit and well you are to take the procedure. And then you could spend up to six hours sitting in a chair with uh, various drips in you. What do you do for six hours? Well, I brought in my laptop and I had the newspapers and so forth. So yeah. it was a long process because there was four or five of us in the ward and it's not exactly a place of conversation really no. because people are in different stages of what's wrong with them and that. So Of course. So that went, I had that every three weeks for eight sessions. And that's full on. And when we hear about chemo, we hear about people, you know, losing their hair mm. and all of that. Did that happen to you? Well, <laughs> I wasn't, I lost my all my hair everywhere. So as I was joking to my friends, uh, I was like a, a porn star, but out the benefits, you know, wasn't me. <laughs> but fortunately, I wasn't... Uh, Sick, and some people are sick. Now, maybe my dosage wasn't as strong as others. Yeah. But I wasn't really, I was nauseous only once. I remember coming in, in at home and my wife had lasagna on and I almost got sick. But nothing to do with her cooking, just, I was nauseous. I'm glad you clarified that, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I have to get that in because she's <laughs> listening, she'd be very upset. But that was the only time I felt it. And I didn't really, have, I didn't lose any weight, which was amazing. Mm. So I hadn't got the worst experience, which you know, which was fortunate because I know some people can be very sick from it. But if it saves your life. And uh, Paul, you're you're a retired bank manager. That's right, yeah. Um, so, you know, you've obviously worked hard all your life, raised your family. There you are enjoying your, your spot of gardening and this hits you yeah. like a bolt from the blue. Um, but, you know, we're talking an air of optimism mm-hmm. today. Absolutely. On Daffodil Day, because we want to send that message that there are so many people like you around Ireland, you know, being diagnosed, but successfully beating cancer. Absolutely. I mean, the the bad news is 9,000 people die every year from cancer. Mm. 45,000 people are told the word, you have cancer. Yeah. But there are 200,000 cancer survivors today in Ireland. And a lot of that's down to the good work that's carried out by the Irish Cancer Society 
with all their programmes and their research. Well, Paul, you have set me up nicely for the next section that I want to talk to you about. And that is, of course, Daffodil Day, which is back in full swing this year because we've had two years of not being able to see, you know, all those fantastic people selling the the pins on Daffodil Day, raising money on outside the shops. You know, it's become such a familiar sight in Ireland. And now it's back. Yes, we could donate in previous years, but now we have the whole shebang up and running again. Talk to me about how important Daffodil Day is? Well, it's the most important uh, day in the Irish Cancer Society's calendar. The Irish Cancer Society only get 3% from the government in funding of of their total uh, income. So the rest of it is depending on donations. And the biggest day is Daffodil Day. And it's, it's going on for about over 20 or 30 years now. I can't quite remember. But everybody knows you don't have to ask a person uh, give me a few bob for Daffodil Day. They see you dressed in your yellow. They see the daffodils and some people get it dressed up in different kind of outfits and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, I'm actually going to be in Frascati Shopping Centre later on today uh, shaking a box. So if you're passing by, make sure you give me a few bob. As I said to you, they, they do very, very well in that. And it's well organised throughout the country. And it's the one charity, I think, where they never have really any trouble in getting volunteers because... Everybody, as Ecclesia says, knows somebody who has cancer or has it themselves. So everybody's willing to to, to row in and, and look after because it's probably Ireland's most famous charity. Yeah, because that's the thing, Paul. Cancer affects so many of us. Even if it's not the immediate family, we have friends. We have friends of friends that we hear about who who get cancer. Uh, so it is this um, Daffodil Day, I, I think, is this concerted, unified effort to basically keep us talking about something that in the past might have been quite taboo. Absolutely. I mean, cancer was a bad word. And in fact, if you recall, it used to be called the big C because people were afraid to actually mention the actual six uh, letter word, you know, so it's amazing. Exactly, yeah. But now we talk about it the way we should be talking about it. We only get 3% of our funding from the state, so we're reliant on Daffodil Day to pay for all of our free nursing, counselling and transport services. So we really appreciate any support you can give by buying a Daffodil pin or donating any amount you can on cancer.ie. Thank you. So you mentioned to me um, a little while ago, Paul, about the 3% of funding the Irish Cancer Society receives from the state, which gives us an idea of of how reliant it is on the good people of Ireland to uh, raise money and donate on days like Daffodil Day. Um, And I just want to give you a, a little bit of an idea because I got this information from the Irish Cancer Society uh, that basically shows how people's generosity supported cancer patients and their families in 2021. For So, for example, Paul, um, donations provided 7,321 nights of night nursing to allow patients at the end of life spend their final days surrounded by loved ones. That's incredible. Um, donations allowed people impacted by cancer to reach out to 22,000 500 supportive and comforting uh, conversations on the support line. Again, very important. 
and provided more than 13,000 volunteer drives to bring patients to and from chemotherapy safely. This is where I'm bringing you back in, Paul, because you're a volunteer driver. And now most people who uh, get involved in the volunteer driving for the Irish Cancer Society have been affected by cancer. Now, you did everything back to front because you were a driver first. I do most things back to front. That's the problem. <laughs> I saw an advertisement about 10 years ago in the local parish magazine uh, looking for drivers. So I said, OK, because I suppose it's easy enough to press the button and donate, but it's kind of more difficult to put your mind down to uh, uh, giving two, uh, two days a month to driving people to their treatment. And if you think about it, I, I think it's one of the more uh, important ones. A person who has cancer and going for their diagnosis, by and large, they're very worried about their diagnosis. They're worried about their cancer. They don't want to worry about, will I have enough parking in the, in, the, uh, in the car park? Will I be sick and be able to drive home afterwards? They can't really rely on their families to bring them in because they could be going five days in a row and you just can't ask somebody, one of your sibs, to take, uh, to take time off work for five days in a row. So this is where we come in. Mm. It's a fairly easy process. Uh, an email with a list issues of the area and the hospital, the area where the patient lives and the hospital that they're attending. And you pick one that's kind of convenient for the patient because you don't want to be driving for too long, although that happens sometimes. So if I see somebody going from Blackrock to Vincent's, I say, I'll take that one. And then they give you the name of the patient uh, and, and what time to pick them up at. Yeah. So you pick them up at their time that they're choosing. They may have a companion. You drive them to the hospital. Because, as I said to you before, it takes six hours. You come home then and you wait for them to phone you to go in and collect them. Right. So it works out very well. And it's not really that onerous of task for the likes of me, but some people uh, are in Letterkenny and Donegal and they may have to go to Galway. So yeah. it can be quite quite a long journey. And sometimes you get two drivers and meet halfway, but it works very well. There was, I think we've 800 drivers. Wow. And they've done 13,000 trips in 2021. Yeah. And it's really, that's a good example of the generosity that people give in terms of their time to, to help out the, yeah. the Cancer Society. I would imagine that, that is somebody who is heading to the hospital and requires your services, Paul, is quite lucky to have you as the driver. I'd say you have a bit of crack with them along the way, do you? Well, we do because um, when somebody gets into the car, you, you, you're, you're trained and you, you don't say to them, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Although sometimes they're volunteer and you have to be careful you don't say something to them like, uh, oh, I know somebody who had that. You, you can't get involved. So you avoid those conversations if you can and you talk about something humorous on the way or it, it, it can be about anything at all. But um, the people are quite happy to talk to you yeah. on the way in. Sometimes on the way home, they're tired after the treatment and you just leave them alone. There's a couple of golden rules uh, if anybody's interested in, in being a driver. Is, uh, you obviously can't take any money from anybody, which is fine. And uh, you can't go into their houses because they're vulnerable people. So even though they might ask you for a cup of tea, it might seem rude. No, you can't, I can't go in. But, yeah. uh, so you kind of keep it professional to a certain extent. But over the years, you know what to say to people and the engagement conversation. You can have a bit of banter. Paul, you have the all clear. I have, thank you. You have kicked cancer to the curb. How did you celebrate? Uh, I don't think I was able to celebrate too much because it was during lockdown. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm... The other C I, word, I, COVID. I, I, COVID, yeah. I ended up getting COVID as well, but that was because I have a low immune system, actually yeah. enough, and I got it, but uh, I've recovered from that too. I was 
shaking up for a while, but uh, no, I'm able to celebrate. I'm quite well able to enjoy a few pints of Guinness and uh, I'm, a, I'm a dub, so my favourite pubs are all in the city, like Joe's and McDade's and Grogan, so... I'll get around to visiting them before too much longer. Fantastic, Paul. I think finally, uh, because you've cheered me up already today, um, you know, you you just have such a, a brilliant and positive outlook. What advice would you give to anyone listening who is perhaps uh, going through uh, any stage of cancer treatment or perhaps even the anxiety of waiting on results at the moment? It's very important to have, make sure your family are around you. That's very important. Uh, it's very important that you tell them exactly what's wrong with you and not be trying to fudge the issue. Uh, always do what your doctors tell you. Don't turn down any form of treatment. Uh, and be aware that, as I said to you, lots of people are surviving cancer. And there's no reason why the person who's sitting there anxious and worried shouldn't uh, be one of those 200,000. Paul, I'll be popping into Black Rock later to get my, my Daffodil Day pin from you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, I'm there from 11 to 3, so make sure you come in between those times. <laughs> Good to know. Thank you very much for talking to me. <laughs> Well, a huge thanks to Paul Markey there. And just to remind people, Daffodil Day is today. You can buy your pins or donate all across the country. Um, And the free phone number for the Irish Cancer Society is 1800 200 700. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's Indo Daily was presented and produced by myself with sound design by John Smith. Clips from independent.ie, Jedward on the Late Late Show from March 2021 on RTE1 and the Irish Cancer Society. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.